Journey to Pentecost, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia. fifth Sunday of Holy Pascha, we commemorate the encounter of Christ with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. We're joined by Angela Georgiou from the Greek Orthodox Ladies Group to reflect on the spiritual meaning of this biblical dialogue found in St. John's Gospel. Our saint of the day today is St. Bachomius the Great. Elizabeth Stilianou, also a member of the Greek Orthodox Ladies Kiklo, will reflect on the life of this saint who is known as the founder of the Kenobitic life in Egypt. As always, we'll play you hymns chanted by the Sydney School of Byzantine Music, along with Greek traditional songs sung by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. This is The Journey to Pentecost. The Sunday of the Samaritan Woman with Angela Georgiou, member of the Greek Orthodox Ladies' Group. On the fifth Sunday of Pascha, we remember the encounter the Lord had with a Samaritan woman. Known to us as Saint Fortini, meaning the Enlightened One, this woman's life was changed when she met the Lord at the well in Samaria. After her life-altering meeting with Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, she was baptised by the Apostles and proceeded to evangelise, becoming equal to the Apostles, and was finally brought before Nero in Rome, where she received the crown of martyrdom along with her family. Previously, the Samaritan woman had lived a broken life and had suffered terrible spiritual thirst. But Christ, when he asked her for a drink, knocked on the door of her soul, and hearing him knock, she answered. And he who had become man, that he might suffer thirst for her and us, gave her and us the water of life. For Denis came to the world to fill her water pot to sustain physical life, but left with something much more. She was filled with living water, Christ, and quenched her spiritual thirst. The Church commemorates the Samaritan woman on the first Sunday after mid-Pentecost, which is the feast that stands halfway between Easter and Pentecost. At Easter, the great truths of the Church are revealed, that Christ is both God and man, that he is crucified and risen from the dead. At Pentecost, we understand the inner meaning of these truths and their implications for our daily life. By the coming of the Holy Spirit, these truths become living and we worship Christ in spirit and in truth. 
Christ offers us the water of life, the water of the Holy Spirit. He alone can quench our thirst. We are all hungry for something. We are always thirsting and desire to feel what seems to be lacking inside us. The trouble is, we often try to satisfy our hunger and thirst with something other than Christ, something other than the true water of life. The Samaritan woman tried to do that by having one husband after another, but remained fundamentally empty and thirsty until she met Christ. Then she received the living water from him. He is the water that will quench our insatiable thirst and will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The disciples are hungry and go to get some food. But when they return and offer some food to the Lord, he responds in a strange way. He says that he has food that they don't know about. They wonder, what does he mean? And he explains that his food is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. What is the will and the work of the Father? To call us and to save us and to give us the water of life. The Lord hungers hungers for communion with us. This is really our fundamental hunger and thirst as well. We have unquenchable thirst for God. We may seek to quench that thirst with many other things, things that have no chance of satisfying us. We have many husbands, that is, all those things that don't satisfy us. But what we need is the true husband, the true bridegroom, Christ. What we need is true communion with God, which allows true communion, true connection with one another. Then, when we have been fed by the living border of Jesus Christ, just like the Samaritan woman, we will not be able to keep it for ourselves, but we will want to tell everyone about it. Not only does Futini herself turn to the light repenting, she also brings her people to the knowledge and love of God, that they too can find healing and salvation through repentance. But she doesn't stop there. Futini continues to become one of the greatest evangelists of the church, helping others to find the same living water, sharing the truth that had set her free and which brought light into the darkness of her life. She ends her life as a disciple, an apostle, a martyr. We are thirsty and hungry people. Our deepest thirst and hunger, though, is for the living God and life in him. May we follow the lead of St. Fortini, who stepped out from the shadows of the darkness of her sins to embrace the spiritual rebirth of life with Christ. And may we also learn to put aside other things that don't satisfy and to turn to Christ saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Give me that living water that you alone can provide. Transform my life. Grant to me true communion with you and eternal life. Amen.
Saint of the Day, Saint Pachomios, with Elizabeth Stylianou, member of the Greek Orthodox Ladies Group. Saint Pachomios is celebrated in the Greek Orthodox Church on the 15th of May. Given the rare title of the Great, he was a model of monasticism and is known as a founder of Kenobitic monastic life in Egypt. Saint Pachomios was born in Upper Egypt in the year 292. His parents were pagans who raised him well with an excellent secular education. Despite, or perhaps due to this education, he rejected idol worship as something repulsive. At the age of 20, he was conscripted into the army during Maximian Deus's campaign and taken to the city of Thebes. It was here he learned of Christ. The Christians of Thebes visited the conscripts daily, providing them food and comfort. This act of love was so foreign for the time and deeply moved the saint. When he asked why they acted this way, he learned that the Christians did these things because of their love of God, in order to fulfill Christ's commandment to love their neighbor. So moved was this saint by witnessing these acts that he was inspired on his own path of holiness. As soon as he was able to leave the army, he converted and was baptized in the village of Senesset. The start of his ascesis was built on the service to people, the very action of life he had witnessed from the Christians in Thebes. He served the local people, particularly during an outbreak of plague. However, his love of God burned brighter and he saw he was in need of spiritual guidance. As such, he turned toward the holy desert dweller Palamon. Elder Palamon was a harsh and austere man, himself burning with the love of God. When Saint Bachomios came to him, he tested the young man of God before clothing him in the monastic habit. Together, they began a life of joyous struggle, involving half-night and all-night vigils, reciting the scriptures, and fasting all day until sunset. In winter, they would only eat every second or third day. They held a constant fast without oil, wine, or even cooked foods. In order to provide for their needs and the needs of the poor, the two monks would plait items from wire, pine fiber, and linen. They would work through the night reciting the word of God in order to combat sleep. 
should sleep overcome their tasks, they arose and carried sandbaskets from one area of the desert to the other. The following account of their lives helps us to understand the pureness and the strictness of faith by which these two ascetics of God lived. On one Easter day, Bahomios poured some oil on the crushed salt which was their staple diet. In response, Balamon struck himself on the face and burst into tears, saying, My Lord is crucified, and I use oil. Under Elder Balamon's guidance, Saint Bahomios pushed himself further in constant vigilance of thoughts and in the learning of the Word of God by heart, so that it would become part of him. He would use practical means to draw himself closer to God, such as going into the harsh desert to pray, or standing all night among graves, stretching his hands heavenward, sweating so much that the ground beneath him became like mud. As he rose spiritually, the demons responded by attacking him openly, to which St. Bahomios responded with more fervent prayers. As their attacks increased, St. Bahomios mortified his body, and made the bold request to God to deprive himself of sleep until he gained victory over the demons. God granted his request, and so St. Bahomios was able to experience God's grace and was able henceforth to tread on serpents and scorpions without danger. After ten years of asceticism, St. Bahomios came across the ruins of the former village of Tabenisi. Here, he heard a voice ordering him to start a monastery. After consulting with his elder, they both agreed that these words were a command from God. They built a small monastic cell, and the holy elder Balamon blessed the foundations before his departure to eternal life. St. Bahomios's then-brother came to join him, and they lived together sharing all things in common and giving all to the poor except for a small amount that was necessary to sustain life. Bahomios would have continued living this way had it not been for an angel of God who appeared to him whilst he was in a vigil and saying to him three times, Bahomios, it is the will of God that you serve the human race to reconcile them with him. From then on, men gathered around Bahomios to live the ascetic life. Each man lived alone as hermits, doing his part to help the material needs of the community. Bahomios humbled himself, preparing the food the brethren desired, tending to the garden, conversing with those in need of spiritual guidance, and tending those that were sick. All the while, he himself ate only bread and salt at all times. Despite his shining example, many of the monks treated him with disrespect and mocked him for his way of life. For five years, St. Bahomios endured this patiently until God sent his command during a vigil that imposed a rule of common life on the brethren. This rule of life 
was the first instance in Christian monastic history in the use of a uniform communal existence amongst monks and became the pattern for all communal monasticism afterwards. God also gave Pachomios the authority to drive out those that would not conform to this angelic scheme. From here on, new candidates who were inspired by his virtue and way of life were strictly tested before joining the community. Once joined, the saint would then humbly serve the monks as before, teaching them to carry their cross and bear one another's burdens by his own example, and to have no care for the world, but to recall the Lord's words in their spirit. He would concentrate on the state of each monk and would remove any influence he thought would disrupt their peace. The local village priest was asked to celebrate the liturgies at their monastery's church as St. Bachomios did not wish any of the monks in the community to be ordained, lest it lead to vainglory and jealousy. On one occasion, St. Athanasios, who had just been ordained Archbishop of Alexandria, visited the monastery with the intention of ordaining St. Bachomios to the priesthood. Learning of this, St. Bachomios hid himself until St. Athanasios left. The number of monks grew quickly, and, in time, it became necessary to build seven monasteries to house the 3,000 monks who had gathered. St. Bachomios's sister was also drawn to monastic life, leading to the building of two women's monasteries on the opposite side of the River Nile. These nuns also lived by the strict monastic rule the saint provided. Severe and strict towards himself, St. Bachomios showed great kindness for his spiritual children and would do all he could to remind them to continue persevering in the faith and to tame their pride lest they fall. He told his spiritual children, As for you, my son, shun the satisfactions of this age so as to be happy in the age to come. Do not be negligent, letting the days pass by till unexpectedly they come looking for you and you arrive at the straits of your anguish and the horror faces surround you and drag you off violently to their dark place of terror and anguish. Do not be sad when you are cursed by men. Be sad and sigh when you sin. This is a true curse. Around Easter of 346, a plague epidemic broke out in the region that the saint also caught. He died at the age of 54, leaving behind him the legacy of Kenobitic monasticism. At the moment of his death, many elders saw a host of angels escorting the saint's soul to the place of his rest. Saint Anthony provided great eulogies on the Kenobitic life, and when he was praised about his own legacy of the Eremitic life, he replied that he only lived in such a way as no communal monastery then existed. He added, In the kingdom of heaven we shall see one another. We shall see all the fathers, and above all, we shall see our Master and our God, Jesus Christ. Christ